Well, we're in the uh, home stretch here of my uh, sermon series, and uh, Zechariah is uh, one of the three prophets, the last of the three prophets in the Old Testament that are speaking after what's called the Babylonian exile, who, along with Haggai, who we looked at last week, and, and Malachi uh, next week as we kind of finish up the sermon series. But uh, to kind of sum up Zechariah just a bit, um, you would call him a visionary. He, he prophesied and he made detailed references to the Messiah fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, which would come 500 years after Zechariah's own life. And, and God gave Zechariah vivid details on what Jesus Christ would experience far out into the future. And there are numerous references to Jesus in the book of Zechariah. For example, he's referred to as the branch coming from the line of David. He's described as a servant. He is named as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Zechariah states that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and that his hands and side would be pierced. But uh, Zechariah and Haggai were, were contemporary prophets living in Jerusalem at the same time, about 520 BC. They had just returned from the exile in Babylon with what scholars believe was around 42,000 people. So they were the only ones remaining. This was the faithful remnant left over from that Babylonian exile. And Darius, the Persian king, gave the people the freedom after they returned to rebuild the temple after its destruction 70 years before. And so there's much excitement. There's a lot of anticipation and buzz about this rebuilding project. And so the people mobilize and they organize. They lay the foundation, but then everything just stops. All of the work comes to a standstill. And nothing happens on that project for 15 years. Well, then the project continues, but it, it kind of drags on because of apathy, a lack of funding, there's confusion, there's misplaced priorities, and there are also threats from surrounding nations. Then the, the prophet Haggai speaks, and within three weeks, the people are back at it with their hammer and nails. But in 520 BC, there's some grumbling again. And this time is the prophet Zechariah who steps up to the plate. And he's able to bring the people together to finish that project in record time in only four years. How? Through a spiritual renewal going on within the people. And we have these words, probably the most famous words in the whole book of Zechariah, chapter four, verse six, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You see, I don't think it matters how big or fancy the place is or how sturdy or well-built it may be. What's most important is that the spirit of God is present. That is what really matters. And so Zechariah points not to a building, but to a person. He points to the Messiah. To Jesus Christ. And in order for the church to be one without walls, 
we need to think about what that looks like in the context of who we're talking about today, and that's the prophet Zechariah. And he's going to share some thoughts about that. And so I invite you to join me as we look at the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You can follow along on the screen. I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. Then the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited like villages without walls because of the multitude of people and animals in it. For I will be a wall of fire all around it, says the Lord, and I will be the glory within it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I mentioned that uh, there were several um, prophecies in the book of Zechariah specifically pertaining to Jesus Christ. Well, probably the most famous of those occurs in chapter 9, where he predicts what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. And so I will once again invite you to join me as I read from Zechariah, short passage, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, would you join me in prayer? And now, Lord, may the words of this preacher's mouth and the meditation of each and every heart here in this room be acceptable to you. For you alone, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Several years ago, there was a story of a young husband who forgot that he was married. I'm sure hoping this story does not become autobiographical. <laughs> but according to the newspaper report, the day after the newlyweds returned from their honeymoon, the husband was three hours late getting home from the office. What happened? Why did he come home so late? Well, believe it or not, the man had absentmindedly gone to his mother's house where he had lived prior to being married. Sometimes I think we're a lot like that young husband. We forget who we are, and we don't remember where we are supposed to be. But we who are united in Jesus Christ belong to him and we live for his glory. How? By studying his word, by praying to the Father in heaven, and by fellowshipping with God's children. You and I are here today because we have been gathered by God to implement his purpose for history. So if you're someone here today, I hope not, but if you are, if you feel like your life is pointless, if you feel like your life is purposeless, 
If you feel like you are that young man, that young husband suffering from identity crisis, listen to this. We are the human means, and by that I mean the church, by which God is planning to bring in his kingdom. That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, you are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. And so we are to make the most of it. Ty Cobb, one of baseball's all-time greats, made a rather revealing admission at the end of his life. He said, for years, I ate baseball, I slept baseball, I talked baseball, I thought baseball, I lived baseball. But when you get beyond those years of playing professional baseball, you can't live on baseball. I think Ty Cobb was right. You can't live on baseball. You can't live on your job or even your family. But if you turn it around, God's spirit lives inside of you. In the third of Zechariah's visions, a man sets out on his own project. His task is to measure the dimensions of Jerusalem's ruined walls so that they can be rebuilt and the people can once again have a temple to worship in. He's a practical, earthy, realistic man. He's got a tape measure on his belt. He's got a team of surveyors with him and he sets out to recreate what once was. The goal is to recapture the glory of that first place and make it happen all over again for the people. But then, as you heard me read, an angel appears and tells them that measuring the temple walls of Jerusalem, the dimensions are no longer necessary as God's new church will spread out beyond these old dimensions. It will burst the limits and barriers of what once was, and it will be a church without walls. As I was thinking about that, it's a wonderful image. It's a wonderful picture. God's redeemed people crowding the busy streets, busting out of the city limits, and surrounding the hills and blanketing it like the sand on the seashore. Now you look around the church today, and that seems like a joke. You look around this church. You can look around this church right now. Look around this church, seriously. Look around the people around you. You know what you're going to see? Average, ordinary, breathtakingly ho-hum people. No offense. <laughs> but... Do not be deceived by what you see. What appears to be isn't always what really is going on. Back in uh, 1903, a Michigan Savings Bank president told Henry Ford's lawyer, a man named Horace Rackham, to not invest in the Ford Motor Company because there were problems in personnel and with production. The banker said, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, just a fad. Well, Horace Rackham, Henry Ford's lawyer, ignored that banker's advice. He bought $5,000 worth of Ford stock, and he sold it later for $12.5 million. Do not be deceived by what you see. If you think about it today, 
the church is not really particularly impressive. We have our problems to be sure. And there's a lot of people out there who say, it's just a novelty, it's a fad, or it's a relic of the past. But friends, when we are the church without walls, when we are not confined to the boundaries of this property or the buildings in which we worship, we go forward in the promises of God. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When we flip over the New Testament, Jesus says it in a slightly different way. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For a long time, I looked at this verse in a much different way. The picture that I had in mind in this verse was that the church is a kind of an alamo, this this fortress with with great big gates. And, And we don't have anything to worry about because we're all safe and secure on the inside and all the power of evil on the outside is trying to get in, but that evil can't break through to the inside because we have these great, big, strong, impenetrable gates. But you know, that's not quite right. If you read the verse carefully, we're the people on the outside. And Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the onslaught of the church. And so the picture that I think that Jesus has in mind of the church is you got sin and death and rebellion and violence and disease all cringing in fear on the inside while the gritty little church huffs and puffs and blows down the gates of hell. Friends, let me ask you a question. Is that the picture that you have of the church this morning? Or to be more specific, is that the picture you have of this church this morning? Of an army that marches out these doors week by week, armed with the spirit of God in one hand and the love of Jesus Christ in the other. So that we go out and we we smash the barriers and embrace this world in order for us to be the church without walls. Jesus was a wall smasher. He dedicated his life and his death to bringing down walls. And one day, he smashed the wall with, of all people, a Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman at the well. They have absolutely nothing in common. She is a Samaritan woman. He is a Jewish man. And between them, there is this wall of silence. It's been built brick by brick with prejudice and hatred, a a wall so thick that no word was allowed to even penetrate through it. So let me ask you a question. Who are the people who are on the other side of the walls of your life? Who are the people who are on the other side who are on the other side of the walls of your life? Family members? Church members? Co-workers? People of a different political persuasion? The neighbor on either side of you? That person who takes the parking spot? Or that, 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 that person who just can't get that credit card to work right at the grocery store? Who are the people on the other side of that wall that, to be honest, you would just as soon have it stay that way? Someone once said, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. 
to dwell below with saints we know, that's a whole nother story. How thick are the walls that you put up between yourself and other people? Just remember this, Jesus never met a stranger. Our Lord just loved robust social interactions, even with people he had just met. Think about the the things that he said to people right after just meeting them. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down right now from that sycamore tree and you throw another shrimp on the barbie because I'm coming to your dinner tonight and I'm staying over. Another time he said, Peter, you old big rock, I have a dream for your life that's gonna knock your sandals off. And to the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, he says, ma'am, may I ask you for a drink of water? Seems like Jesus never knew a stranger. And friends, to know Jesus Christ means that we will never know a stranger either. To know Jesus means that we don't build walls, but we smash them down in God's power. You know, it's amazing to me how, how significant ministry often takes place in undramatic ways. Oh, I know, because I grew up in a church that had people who would give incredible testimonies. People who were going 90 miles an hour down a dead-end street the wrong way, and God grabbed a hold of them, and they did a 180-degree turn, and then they were walking in the light of his life and glory. But you know, so often, ministry is not like that. It's like speaking a single surprising word, and it just seems to make all the difference. It, it shatters the barriers. It collapses those walls, sometimes even walls of hatred and injustice. Because you see, there was that day back in December of 1955 when a bus driver in Montgomery, Alabama ordered four people who were sitting in a row of seats to move to the back of the bus. And it is said that one of those people, a department store clerk by the name of Rosa Parks, spoke, and she spoke so softly that her voice could barely be heard over the noise of the bus. But that voice and that word that she spoke was no, no and a wall came tumbling down. Christian writer Dale Bruner likes to say that Jesus walks through the gospels like a kung fu expert. There was a wall that prevented Samaritans from talking to Jews, and Jesus cried out, hi-ya, and that wall collapsed. There was a wall that kept lepers from entering into the temple and worshiping God. Jesus cried, hi-ya, and that wall collapsed. There was a wall of prejudice that kept Gentiles from worshiping God. And Jesus cried, Haya! And that wall came tumbling down. There was a wall that excluded women from worship. Jesus cried, Haya! That wall collapsed as he chopped it down. And yes, even on the day that Jesus died, the very last barrier fell as the veil of the Holy of Holies was torn in two. As we head towards the end of summer and people going back to school and people who have been on vacation coming back and things resuming again, I want to encourage you to do something. 
I want to encourage you to break down some walls. What kinds of walls? Well, they may be walls of indifference, of ignorance, of neglect, of hostility. Friends, let Jesus Christ break down the wall of your heart. Many of us, I'm one of them, learned a hymn growing up as a child. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Let's be a a congregation that lives that out. Let's be a congregation that shatters the walls with the word become flesh, who is Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we are struck by your word because it is music to our ears, but sometimes it challenges us. Sometimes it steps on our toes. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. But God, you didn't come in Jesus Christ to make us comfortable. You came to change us from the inside out. You came to break down walls and smash barriers so that we might be one. So make us one with each other. Make us one with you. Make us one with people who even right now as we speak may be on the other side of the wall. Break down that divide. Restore those things that will reconcile us back to you and with each other. And God, in places where we see unrighteousness or ignorance or neglect or injustices, Lord, help us not to turn a blind eye, but to speak your truth so, so that your Holy Spirit may move in awe and wonder and power. We pray these things and we ask them all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.